So at this point, I want to introduce our first presentation for the day. So excited to have one of our own, Jorge Zagara. And Jorge is actually a bilingual quality management systems and continuous improvement professional. I didn't know that about him. He, uh, I think of him as our wonderful contract education director uh, down, down at uh, College of the Sequoias. He has over 30 years of extensive international experience in the manufacturing and service industries in the USA, Latin America, and Asia. He is currently the director of College of the Sequoias Training Resource Center. And without further ado, I'm going to have um, Jorge start his presentation on the pitfalls and challenges of managing contract education. Thank you, Margaret. I don't know if I can, you, if I can show up. You have to let me share my screen first, unless you have my presentation so you can show it. You're gonna be sharing it from your screen. Yeah, but I try, but I said I cannot. Well, let me stop the share. Okay, now you should be able to go down to the bottom of the yep. screen. I should be able to. Now I can. So you all see my screen, right? They're perfect. Thank yeah, you. perfect. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. As I, uh, Margaret mentioned, my name is Jorge Zegarra, and I'm the director of College of the Sequoias Training Resource Center. Uh, you will be happy to know there are only four slides to this PowerPoint deck, <laughs> including the uh, introductory slide. Uh, back in December of 2019, uh, when we were meeting at El Camino College for our strategy and business planning uh, summit, uh, I think the biggest challenge uh, most of us had that day, uh, at least half of the people that couldn't make it, was traffic. Uh, and uh, well, fast forward three, four months now, and uh, that challenge has transformed into something else. So I, I believe that uh, we all have gone through massive cancellations uh, and postponements as a result of COVID-19. So right now, it, that is probably, in the pandemic, it is probably the biggest challenge we all face as contract units. So I do not want to make this presentation about COVID-19. Uh, I'm going to save that topic, uh, uh, that bullet, for the last topic of the presentation. Otherwise, it can take uh, the entire presentation as we start talking about the challenges of how to deal and or how to benefit, depending on how you look at it, uh, from uh, the COVID-19 pandemic. So when Margaret and I were talking about uh, the annual summit, and I was looking forward to face-to-face -face up in San Mateo, that's a very nice area. Um, um, I mentioned to Margaret that often we tend to uh, provide best practices or su success stories because that's often or typical how people learn. You, you want to learn from best practices and also learn from success stories. But I wanted to uh, give this a different, uh, a different twist. So I also believe that we can learn from other people's mistakes uh, and for from uh, challenges other people face. And that's the reason why we, uh, we named 
this uh, presentation of pitfalls and challenges of managing contract education. Can you guys hear me okay so far? Because I hear nothing. It hears silence. So, Maria, let me know if everything is going okay. And I don't have the chat uh, on or anything like that. So, just Jorge, give me it's feedback. very good. And if any questions come up in the chat room, Faith and I will share them with you um, at probably at the end of your presentation. Sure. So, we're, we're looking for about 1045. You'll be able to Okay. I, I see the option for chat, but I don't, it doesn't show mine. So, that's fine. Let me see. Um, Anyway, so uh, as the title of the uh, presentation uh, indicates, we're going to talk about different challenges and pitfalls that we contract practitioners may face. And I think this may vary from uh, operation to operation, from district to district. And often I feel that uh, contract is like real estate. It's location, location, location. So it depends on where you're at. Things change and some locations are pretty ripe for having large uh, client bases and uh, multiple employers and others don't. So uh, again, that's my, uh, my analysis of uh, real estate with contract ed. Um, let me see if I can move the slide to the next one. So the way I did this, I have uh, divided up the uh, presentation in three segments. The first one is titled revenue. The second one is expenses or expenditures. And the third one is business operations. And I want to go over uh, certain challenges and pitfalls uh, under each one of those three categories. And the reason for it is that let's not forget that even though we're part of the college, and yes, we're part of the educational world, uh, we're part of the community college, in, in, your, in each one of us cases is part of a district, that we operate uh, as we were a for-profit business. Uh, that is that we have to... And like, honestly, I'm so... Um, I heard somebody speaking. So, and we have to look at our business from a revenue standpoint and also from, from an expenses standpoint. And obviously, uh, to be able to sustain revenue and, 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 and expenses, we have to have business operations that are efficient. So, I wanted to do it this way to remind you all that, uh, again, even though we're part of the uh, college district, that we operate a little different. Uh, Let me see if I can advance. Okay, so when I look at revenue uh, and I look at challenges, uh, I look at revenue as probably the one of the biggest challenges you may have because you have to be able to generate enough revenue to cover your expenses. So I have put four bullets in there just to uh, give you an idea of the type of sources of revenue that you may have or that you may want to uh, be able to get. Uh, when we first started uh, at College of the Sequoias with Contraget, I was asked by the district uh, not to rely on grants, but primarily to go uh, and uh, develop relationship with our employers uh, because um, the way it was explained to me initially is that Contraget, uh, brings revenue through contracts with employers. Uh, but uh, so initially uh, I was writing in with my staff uh, and Rose and Laura are in the call. They've been with me since I started working at Contraget for College of the Sequoias. Now it'll be almost six years this May, uh, writing uh, proposals. So one of the challenges is to be able to develop that relationship with the clients when you're new in, in the Contraget world. Uh, 
not knowing uh, your client base. And one thing I do recall, and I think some of you may have worked with uh, CMTC, uh, the California Manufacturing Technology Center, I think it was called then, um, that they uh, also were here in this area and they had a difficult time also growing their business because again, it's regional and businesses often are conducted based on relationships. And in fact, that may be the case throughout, but it appears to be even more pronounced here in the Central Valley where College of the Sequoias is at. So it was difficult to get that door to be open for us. So, but that was for us the biggest challenge, having to develop that relationship with the, with the clients, with employers in the area. Other organizations that have been here even longer had that same difficulty. So something for you to keep in mind. Also, uh, the assumption that most of your revenue is going to come from fees paid by the client, I don't think is realistic. In our particular case, and over this last six years, we initially had that impression that we can just uh, develop that relationship with the clients, submit a proposal based on what they need, and they will happily accept the proposal, and they will just pay our invoices, and that's not been the case. Uh, so we had to uh, look for other sources of revenue, uh, because often when the client, this is, has been our experience that uh, we submit multiple proposals and once they see the numbers, they think that, well, you're part of the college, I, this should be probably cheaper or isn't this, it shouldn't be the rate of, uh, uh, of your typical <clears throat> for credit uh, classes that you have. I think I believe right now in the community college, it's about $46 per unit. So they somehow equate our operations, uh, the contract ed with the academic side and they assume that the, 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 the cost would be similar to what it would be having someone attend uh, a semester class. Uh, and for many of them, it's a surprise when we explain to them that even though we're part of the college, that we are, we have to be self-sufficient and we have to generate our own revenues and that comes as a surprise to many. So, so that being said, uh, we have been working and developing also relationships with other organizations to be able to uh, bring uh, or access all the revenue sources. In, uh, in our case, uh, it took us almost four years uh, to develop that relationship with the Workforce Investment Board. Uh, I think the, the, the acronym WEB is similar in most places in California, but in some other counties, it may have a different name. Uh, so for us, that was a challenge, uh, attending um, multiple meetings, attending board meetings, attending industry events, so that the web can uh, uh, develop that relationship with us, uh, so they so they can earn our, our, our trust. And right now, we have a good relationship with the web. Uh, we have uh, a one somewhat large contract with them, but it was the result of that relationship, that uh, partnership with, that we had with not only the web, but also the, the, the employers that typically interact with the Workforce Investment Board. So another, another challenge there. Now, a, a pitfall with the web is that often they don't move at, in this, at the same speed that you want them to, and they, all, and they have their own regulations since their funding also comes from federal and the state sources, that there is paperwork involved, and you would assume that uh, it would be all uh, simple, but not, not necessarily the case, but they've been great partners with us, and 
the fruits of this relationship for us, at least for College of the Sequoias, uh, um, uh, materialize uh, a couple of years ago when we signed our first contract. Now, ETP, famous ETP, it's, uh, it's ETP is addictive. <laughs> uh, when we got started six years ago, we had no idea what ETP was. But we heard it was a good thing. Uh, we heard it from Eldon, and we heard it from uh, Dave Teasdale, and we heard it from other people. And we said, well, and, uh, we need to get into this ETP wagon somehow. So big challenge. And, and I have an advice for the ones that don't have their own ETP contract is that first, uh, if I will have to start all over again, I will probably uh, reach out to a college that has an ETP contract and try to access the funds through their contract to begin with. Over time, uh, once you become familiar with ETP, certainly you can pursue and, and try to get your own contract. Uh, but it is a, it's a big challenge and it has a lot of pitfalls. It has a lot of pitfalls because the assumption is that it's going to be simple. It took us about a good year, if not more, just to become familiar with ETP regulations, the vocabulary, some of the jargon they use and their systems, and often you learn by making mistakes. So that may be why we, I wanted to use the term pitfall as an, as an hidden or unsuspected difficulty. And, and, and that was the case with ETP, but luckily uh, we have overcome that. And in our case, uh, uh, we're at a point now where we manage our own contract. We have made some large investments in, in software to be able to manage those contracts. But it's a, it's a good source of revenue. Uh, and, uh, and for many, it's probably the primary source. And I'll give you a breakdown of ours in a few minutes so you have an idea how we have split up our revenue sources. Uh, and the reason why I say that is because now uh, there's been some communications and emails about ETP and the possibility of ETP shifting their funding in a different manner just to be able to uh, help with the COVID-19 epidemic. So uh, I hope that's uh, not true or that if, if it is, it's minimal. Uh, otherwise, it, we, the, the colleges that rely on ETP will feel the pain if they were to limit access to ETP funding. So great source of uh, revenue, but be aware of the challenges and some of the pitfalls that you probably will find out on your own uh, as you proceed with the contract or managing your own contracts. Uh, there are a lot to learn, and, uh, but it, again, it's a good source of revenue. Um, I'd say probably out of the four, uh, it's one of the, it may, not be, it may be the best, I think. So th the last one is, again, even though I, uh, six years ago, my district says, please do not, tr try not to use that many grants or minimize the reliance on grants. We wanna be more employer oriented. Uh, the reality is that grants are also critical. Uh, um, now, if you have a large uh, employer base, you probably can do fine with just ETP and nothing else. It may be a few uh, contracts with your employers where they pay directly, but in our area in the Central Valley, uh, that's not been the case. We don't have a large uh, manufacturer and employer base that we can rely on solely for with ETP or, or fees. So we also had to uh, uh, go after some grants. So um, because of the grants, we've been able to develop our uh, food safety training classes and, and we have uh, ongoing uh, food safety classes primarily because of the grants that we have. Uh, so 
for us, uh, and, and again, uh, a challenge with a grant similar to ETP is having the time to search for grants and the challenge is to find the time to be able to write a grant. Unless you have enough revenue to pay somebody to write the grant for you, it's something you're going to have to do on your own. Uh, and I have to give uh, you know, uh, credit for also to Laurel, it's one of my staff, and Rose, who have been helping me in, in uh, developing grants and managing the grants. So uh, we, I have to probably say that in the case of the grants, and this is, uh, we have three grants. Uh, one that we just ended, we have one that will end this year, and we have applied to two more. That has been the effort, a team effort, and in, in, in managing the grants has been also a challenge because, like I said, is the time you have to invest and the knowledge you have to gain to be able to understand all the requirements. But so far it has worked for us and it's been also the revenue source that is allowing us to fill that gap uh, that we need. So um, for us, I'd say um, uh, ETP is about 50% of the revenue that we bring, grants about 30. So that leaves us with maybe 10% for the wave, uh, or even maybe a little more, maybe 15. And uh, clients paying for their own training is very minimal, uh, which is uh, uh, in contrast with what the, uh, the request I was uh, given uh, or when I was first hired that uh, to not rely on uh, grants or some other uh, state or federal funding sources and more on client fees. It's just not being able to do that with the, uh, with the clients in our area. And I suppose uh, that it may be similar for some of you, but I think, again, it, contract it is like real estate. It depends on the location. So I would think that in areas uh, they have a large population and large employer base, you can probably do fine with between ETP and in client fees and not worry about grants. So those are some of the uh, challenges that we have faced on the revenue side. Uh, there may be other sources of revenue. Uh, and at this point, Margaret, if don't know if you want to open up for questions before I move on to the, uh, the next slide, which is expenses, or do you want me to just continue on? Uh, I just want to make this as interactive as possible, but I don't know if it would be appropriate for... Well, we have one question in the chat room. This is from Charlie Monahan. Can you share what kind of grants you have? Yeah, sure. Uh, we have a grant with the California Department of Agriculture, and it's a grant for uh, uh, Food Safety Modernization Act-related training. That's the grant that we have. And we have applied for the same grant because uh, our – current grant will end now in October. So we have applied for another grant and we've been invited for phase two. We already submitted the uh, the application for phase two. So hopefully they'll make some announcement and the grant will become uh, active uh, in 2021, early January, I would hope. Okay, any other grants, um, Jorge? No, those are the, so far. We've been we worked uh, previously with other grants, the collaboratives. I think they're called. I forget their name now. Um, IB IDRCs. I think it's industry something regional collaboratives. I we had one with uh, West Hills Fresno City College in Merced, and was also a drought relief grant. But all of these grants have 
a training component. So it's not just any grant. There are hundreds of grants out there. Uh, so, and that's what I said, the challenge is to be looking and researching what grants fit your business model, fit your service uh, criteria. So the grants that we have, uh, and, and some of these grants uh, have the training aspect kind of hidden in the application, in the, in the request for, for application. So you have to read it. You have to spend the time and read and say, oh, there's something maybe we can do here. And keep in mind, we are in the in the business of providing training. So many of these are research grants and, and grants that deal with marketing. We just look for the pieces that involve training. And in the case of the uh, uh, California Department of Agriculture, we were fortunate enough to see that they had an, uh, aspects of training we were able to just concentrate on. Uh, so we just went after just the training aspect of the grant, nothing else. Okay, thank you. Jorge, your mic is picking up an interesting popping noise. Really? Are you using your hands around your desk? Uh, There's some interesting I, I, may, I, I may have, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, I guess, hug myself and not move my hands. It might be that. It's an interesting little popping noise. Okay, I don't see any other questions in the chat room at this point, so I'm going to mute myself and let you continue on. Thank you. Okay, expenses now. So the second part of the uh, financial equation. Yeah, keep in mind, uh, we have to generate enough revenue to cover expenses. So on the expense side, there's some uh, uh, aspects of expenses that you need to be aware of that I can share with you in our experience uh, that uh, are, are critical. So the first one is salaries and benefits and as you probably know that is uh, the largest uh, expense uh, that we have in our operations so uh, the what is the challenge the challenge is to know what are your salaries and benefits for the fiscal year and plan it in a way that you can bring enough revenue to cover those expenses and i'm not including here trainers salaries i'm just talking about here staff i'm talking about direct cost here uh, things that we were in expenses that we have whether we do 100 training classes or 10. so this is something you need to be aware of uh, and one thing that it sometimes we forget and i may i guess classify that as a as a hidden difficulty is that uh, we're part of the district and uh, we're all employees of the uh, of the district and I'm not complaining, but the district and probably the same districts have annual increases. Uh, the famous COLA, right? Cost of living adjustment, I think it's called. So those are just uh, uh, included every year and they increase. So every increase in salary, once again, it's deserved by my staff. And I'm, personally, I'm not complaining, but you have to be aware that as those salaries and benefits increase every year, that you also need to make plans to increase your revenue because you have to cover those additional costs. Uh, as you probably know, in a in a private enterprise, in a in a private business, uh, things work differently, but not in the college. So we just have to face that reality. I hear the puppy noise to uh, market. I don't know what it is. I'm not moving my hands, but I hear some puppy noise. So. Uh, so be aware of that. Uh, in, it varies from district to district, but I would not be surprised if the increase in salaries and benefits is a good 
four or five percent a year. Uh, so keep that in mind. So over five years, you're talking about a significant increase in salaries and benefits, all well-deserved, by the way, but just something to be aware of. Now, uh, trainer compensation. Uh, big topic. A, a challenge is to maintain consistency. Uh, the consistency of, of trainer compensation, where we first started, uh, I had a list of trainers and their salaries, I mean, their hourly compensation, we compensate them based on uh, an hourly rate. And I'd say about a, now is half of our trainers are adjunct faculty. We don't have anybody that is full-time, I don't think. Uh, and the rest are subject matter experts. And their hourly compensations vary from person to person. It was difficult to keep track of, was prone to mistakes. Sometimes, oh, I thought that that was at this rate. And we even had a chart, uh, a spreadsheet with the different uh, rates. And even the rates may change from depending on the, the training. So at one point we made the decision to standardize compensation. We looked at the uh, compensation of our adjunct faculty at the hourly rate, and we decided to uh, hire, um, increase it a bit more so they make it attractive. So if they have a choice, they work with us. Uh, so right now, and I don't have a problem sharing this, but we we pay all our trainers the same, and we use a base rate of $70 an hour. So, because uh, trainers talk to uh, among themselves, and if they're teaching the same type of uh, content, they're gonna find out that someone's making more than the other person, and that can create some, uh, uh, you know, friction uh, and also some, uh, uh, carry some issues for us. So the decision we made was to, again, standardize uh, uh, trainer compensation. Now, that being said, if we have a trainer, a training uh, a topic that is highly technical, and we have to bring someone from, quote unquote, the outside uh, consultant, then the hourly compensation may change or we may just do on a assignment or project-based fee, uh, fee based on projects. So it's all inclusive. In our case, that's how we manage it. We, just to avoid all the paperwork for travel and living expenses, we have a, a an agreement to pay for the project. If it's a two-day training, we pay a dollar figure that is all in, inclusive, inclusive of uh, hotel, trans, uh, you know, mileage and so forth. So that's how we do that. One thing that I would like to tell you here too is, and it's a pitfall that you wanna avoid with trainer compensation, and this is can be a bit controversial, I guess, in some places is uh, uh, prep time. We, to us, that's a word that we no longer use, prep time, preparation time. That can be a trap because once you offer prep time, you set a precedence, a precedent, and they're going to expect prep time no matter what. Uh, we had that issue initially. In fact, uh, the trainers that we have now are somewhat new in some cases. Some have been with us for a long time, but initially we had trainers, about five or six of them, they're no longer trainer with us for many reasons and nothing to do with the compensation. It's just that once they taste the flavor of prep time, it's an expectation that you create and it's going to be difficult for you to get rid of that. So. For, is another reason why we increase our hourly rates and they understand that it is all inclusive. Uh, they have to prep. And the reason why, what I explain is, because I happen to teach also, I teach uh, one, one class a, a week at, at uh, 
at Fresno State. So I get paid on an hourly basis and I have no additional compensation. There's no such a thing as prep time. Uh, none of the adjunct faculty at the college uh, get paid prep time. Uh, they get their uh, class assignment and they have to prep for it. And the hourly rate should reflect that. And we decided to make the uh, change to avoid that pitfall that we had initially because uh, people would turn us down sometimes and we said, look, I'm sorry, the way we price it, there's no prep time. Said, oh, yeah, they would hesitate. And I said, wait a minute here. So we made that change. So in regards to trainer compensation, I, I would consider prep time in our case was a pitfall because it can backfire later on uh, because they're going to know uh, trainer A would tell to trainer B, I get paid prep time and you didn't. So they're going to expect that. So I think it's best to have a, an adequate hourly rate that is all inclusive just to avoid those uh, pitfalls. Jorge? Uh, yes. We have two questions. Yes. One of them is, um, can you explain, um, I'm sorry, the chat room just moved up. <laughs> um, I'm sorry. And it is, I'm just having to scroll back down. Um, so they were asking about 30 hours and... What? Okay, no, I'm sorry. If you have, um, bear with me, I'm just looking for the question again. Could the presenter re-explain how he handles the travel piece? That's one question. Mm -hmm. And then the other question is, it sounds like you do pay for development versus prep time. Um, no, we don't pay for development. We mean in course development. When you said development, well, yes. If I have to ask someone to develop a course, I have to pay them, yes. And what do you pay for development then? Uh, it's it's project-based. It depends on what we're trying to develop. Uh, I don't have an hourly rate for course development. What we do is we look at the project and we budget it and we say this is how much money we can pay for the development that we think is appropriate. And we just communicate that to the person who we're asking to. That was my third bullet. So, uh, okay, The other question is, do you uh, how do you handle the travel? The travel, what we notice is whenever travel expenses are involved, there's additional paperwork. So what we do is with this, our uh, trainer consultants, we give them a fixed rate. Let's say this project for you to teach this three-day class, I'm just going to say it's going to be, let's say, $2,000. And uh, that's what they're going to invoice us. And they take care of their own hotel reservations, their own mileage or transportation. We don't, uh, we don't ask them to submit detailed paperwork uh, because if we were to report this to the district as a project that involve uh, living expenses, we're going to have to submit receipts for meals, hotels, and there's some restrictions on that. So we decided not to deal with that and just make it all uh, all inclusive in the compensation. So they, if they want to eat burgers or they want to eat at an expensive restaurant here at the in Visalia, uh, then they can. But um, <laughs> okay. And then another question is. How do you handle, well, you handle curriculum development. How do you handle client meeting compensation for trainers? We do most of the uh, client meetings. When I say we, uh, we're talking about the training resource center staff. We also visit clients. And yes, we invite trainers, but we invite trainers that know that the, in some cases, uh, they realize that the fact that they are coming with us indicates that they will be the ones delivering the training in the end. Keep in mind, we have multiple trainers. In some, 
some of them have been partners with us for a long time. So they understand that that's a way for them to uh, demonstrate the partnership. And they do come with us and they spend 30 minutes to an hour and uh, they don't expect compensation. And I believe the compensation for them is that they get to do the training. Thank you. Okay, we've got about 10 more yeah. minutes um, for, sure. for your presentation. Yeah. Okay. Great, thank you. Okay. Course development, that was another large expense. And if you have the money, obviously you're gonna to have to set money aside for course development. I stay away from paying someone by the hour in course development. I think that was one of the questions someone had. So I looked at it as a project. I kind of uh, analyze and project what this course should cost and look at the different pieces. And I set aside a amount of money for the developer who can help us with this. But it's, um, uh, for you to be able to develop a curriculum, you have to have the money to. But be careful with something, a pitfall that we learned. We had someone that uh, offered to develop a basic electricity curriculum. And I, in my mind, when I, when I hear the term curriculum, I see something that is detailed to the point that has even lecture notes. For many, curriculum is just an outline of the learning objectives. So the pitfall here is if you're gonna ask someone to develop a course for you, clarify what are you gonna get in return. If it's going to be the traditional uh, curriculum that you see on the academic side, it'll be just the listing of learning outcomes and that's not what we in Contract Ed are looking for. We wanna see uh, details of the content of the course, the handouts, exercises, and, 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 and that level of detail that you need to be able to deliver the course. So that's uh, uh, a pitfall that you, you wanna be aware of uh, in the area of course development. And last, another expense is marketing. So marketing is helpful but it's expensive. So depending on how much money you have in your budget, you can uh, you can set aside for marketing. Uh, be aware, a pitfall when it comes down to marketing uh, uh, in the area of uh, email blasts. Uh, there's an organization here local that sends so many emails that personally, when I see those emails, I don't read them anymore. So be careful, pitfall, I think it is, that if, if you assume that you're going to uh, be able to get people's attention by uh, overwhelming them with emails, I think you could be mistaken. So you have to be careful, it's a balance. You have to time it right. You don't wanna tire people with your emails because it will get to the point where they will not pay attention to you. So again, it, it, it's, a, it's a balancing act, it's a, it's not easy to determine, but uh, a pitfall that you may want to avoid. So um, I think I have another five minutes. I'm going to move on to the last uh, slide, Margaret, unless someone has a question. Yes, one other question. Did you pay trainers to convert face-to-face -to, -face to online or would consider that uh, prep time as well? I consider that prep time, so I do not. Okay, and then the last question was, could you provide us with a list of what you look for in course development? I can, right now, what I wanna see is not only the outline, the topic. Uh, most curriculums that I see on the academic side, and this is one project that we had where this gentleman gave me a binder uh, with all 12 modules, and under each module had a, a listing of the learning outcomes. And I said, but how are you going to, what are you gonna teach? What's the content? 
what topics are you going to cover? So I look for content. I look for exercises. I look for uh, a description of what is going to be covered. And that's my expectation. So it's not just an outline of the topic and the learning outcomes, but also the actual detail. Now, most of you have access to the Customer Service Academy that was developed by Merced Junior College, right? Uh, and many of you have taken their train the trainer with Merced Junior College. I'm looking for that level of detail. This shows how long it takes, what materials you're gonna use, what topics you're gonna cover, even describes the topics. It has handouts, that's what I'm looking for. I think I have another only five minutes, so I'm gonna to have to hurry up, uh, Margaret. You can. You could probably take ten minutes. We I built in a fifteen minute break. Sure. We have uh, Michael starting right at eleven. Okay. So, if there are no other questions, I'll move on to my last slide, which is business operations. Yeah. In order to uh, uh, maintain a good revenue source revenue source and also to minimize or manage your expenses, you need to have, uh, you need to operate your business in an efficient manner. And I wanted to highlight uh, three items here. One is class registrations. Uh, when we first, uh, when I first joined College of the Sequoias, the district had its own uh, class registration system. It was based on banner and it was a nightmare because it was not, developed for our business. People had to register and get a student ID, and we had often had to help them uh, reset in their password or give them new, um, new, new links for registration because they don't remember. So it was pretty cumbersome. Second, um, class registrations that were paid online were collected by the district and they were placed in our account as a lump sum. So we did not know uh, if out of the, uh, let's say, $3,000 in registrations for the last month, uh, which registrations were for class A, class B, or class C. So it was difficult. So it was a lot of uh, manual work, manual labor to be able to uh, break them up and try to make sense of the, not only the, the deposits, but also the time it took us to help uh, uh, students in registering for our classes. So we decided to move away from the uh, module that the district had for their uh, op operating system, and in our case was Banner. Uh, and we went on with our own uh, class registration uh, uh, um, process. So. Laurel is very familiar and well-versed on the class registration. So right now, if you go to our website, um, you can select the class you want. You click that class, you pay for the class, and in the background, uh, we that registration is allocated to a particular class, to a class number. So we can uh, segregate, we can discriminate all the deposits into classes. So to, for us, that's been a... a uh, a time saver uh, and also it has allowed us to then have better financial tracking which is the next uh, uh, bullet point I have. So uh, it took a lot of time. Laurel has spent a lot of time looking at the different providers and different options that we have but in the end we uh, we tried a couple and uh, in fact we switched from 
one they have for a couple of years into a new one uh, recently because of hacking and carting. Uh, so, but right now we're, we're happy with the class registration system we have. And it's not the one that the district uses, by the way. So that leads me into financial tracking. And for us, financial tracking is critical. I believe that for many colleges, it may not be, if especially if it's a college that makes enough revenue that they don't have to worry about covering expenses. And I'm sure there are some colleges like that that make lots of revenue, lots of money, and they don't have to really uh, worry about tracking it as long as you cover your expenses. That was not been the case for us, for College of the Sequoias. Because College of the Sequoias has been trying to and been working towards uh, the goal of breaking even. So for us, financial tracking was is critical to this day. So we have invested uh, heavily in uh, developing also a customized software solution to be able to track our financials. Uh, now, uh, uh, it's a challenge and it's expensive. So be careful if you decide to go that route. For us, it was important because we want to determine the profitability of each class that we have so that we can make decisions. And because of the financial tracking that we have now, we can make a determination as to what classes we need to concentrate more and which ones maybe we need to do away with. And in fact, we just uh, transfer the management of some classes to another department of within the district because the rate of return was too low for what we need. And that was only possible because of the financial track that we have where we um, monitor revenue and expenses per class so we can determine uh, margins and so forth. So big challenge, yes, it's expensive. Yes, for us it's necessary. Um, a class registrations also some of the pitfalls that you may encounter is that, that if you uh, don't make the, the incorrect choice, that the you may have issues uh, um, with the class registration uh, software they use and, and the, some of the partners that you have to use for payment. So just be careful about that. Uh, now in, in financial tracking, like I said, many, many districts may not have a formal financial tracking. We do have one and it is not, we're not using the district's software by the way, because the issue that we had is that the district provides us with uh, revenue and expenses, but does not break it up or break it down into the different categories. And even less, they do not provide revenue and expenses to the class level. They just don't do that. Some of the colleges may, but not ours. So that forces us to uh, develop our own financial tracking so that we can do financial analysis and make decisions. That's the reason for the financial tracking. So uh, the last bullet I have, and I title it district support, and that I'm going to tie that to the COVID-19 because, um, and I'm sure most of you have been told many times that you're part of the district, you're part of the family, and you're all part of the college. But in the end, I think uh, uh, is the challenge is what type of relationship do you have with your district? How willing are they to support you when things don't go well? And in the case of the COVID-19 now is, and, and this is a, it's a time for us to, and, uh, to, to find out. And because many of us have, 
are going to be heavily impacted by the cancellations and postponements. And looking at the revenue sources that I had earlier, if, if you uh, rely on client fees or even ETP and those sources were to dry up, uh, there's going to be a big gap. Uh, who's going to fill that gap, that revenue gap? Is the district is going to support you? Uh, uh, what type of relationship do you have? How does contract get fit in the district's strategy? Uh, and if that strategy extends to financial support. So that is a question to be answered in the next uh, few weeks or months. And it, I would be interested in, in, in finding out uh, for the colleges or the contract get units like College of the Sequoias or like ours or many of yours, they are going to experience, they're going to face a revenue gap. How is that gap going to be filled? Is it the district is going to step up and provide that support to demonstrate to you that indeed you're part of the family or uh, you're going to have to find a way to fill the revenue void yourself? So with that, I, I will uh, open up for questions. Uh, Thank you, there was one question came up. What's the financial tracking system that you use? We use a f database that we call TrackPoint. It it is a uh, it is an access database that was customized. It was initially the database that El Camino College Eldon used for ETP, but we decided to invest and develop additional modules for financial tracking and class registration. So that database, I believe also Butte uses the same database, El Camino Butte. I don't know if there's another college using that database. We just decided to add two large modules for financial tracking and class registrations to the original database. So we just call it TrackPoint. Thank you, thank you. I, I think Jorge did a wonderful job. So those of you who wanna take claps for Jorge, thank you, Jorge.